Cradleine Network. My name is Connor. Alongside, my name is Connor. This is the 279th. Or God damn it! Start again. Borak. My name is Conrad. This is the 297th episode of Space Spinner 2000 podcast, where we make where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. But this uh-huh. episode, we're taking a break from our weekly progs to cover the 1995 2000 AD yearbook. And as we always say, like annuals, yearbooks are dated for the year after they come out. And so it's 94, but this 95 one's out. This is the fourth yearbook and the 18th and final annual type document. This time oh, we got a mi- really thank God. <laughs> yeah, no more. We got a mixed bag of thrills, including Dread, Brigand Doom, Friday, some future shocks, and the final installments of both Bradley and Babe Race. The price of the annual stayed steady this year at five pounds and ninety-five pence. Enough of that, though, because I'm excited to welcome my guest for this show, Fox from Space Spinner 2000. Oh, God, I'm finally here. Thank you. Remember when I did those other things way back in the day? We had like two a year, sci-fi specials and annuals. They were fucking terrifying. You know what I find completely interesting is that even in a yearbook, Mm -hmm. they still don't have enough material to where they have to do like a future shock. Like two of them. There's two future shocks and four progs worth of dread reprints in this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's a choice, but they did. It's fine. I mean, in the end, I appreciate all, yeah. that a majority of it was in color. Let me put it that way. It's true. It is a big <laughs> and change. I, and yeah, I, and I had and I had the physical version because Conrad bought it for me, and I got to touch pages. The volume of this uh, uh, wonderful yearbook. I mean, it was okay. It was fine. It was a fine yearbook, Conrad. It was yeah. worth every five pounds you paid. Nearly six. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, this is first time we, we've had you back on here since the 1983 annual way back in episode 87. So I, listen, over 200 episodes ago. I'm, if anything, I am a fan of the show. Uh, I love to listen to my own voice. It's actually, it's quite nice. I find it soothing to know that I... Um, I sound constantly sarcastic, even though I'm not, obviously. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to to return to the pages of these thrills, Conrad, after mm-hmm. such a long time away and uh, give some of my past and historical insight to this because I've been gone for. Absolutely. Sure. Why not? Should mention, <laughs> I guess, just in case anybody calls me on it, Fox. Also, we also looked at the annual for uh, Star-Lord during the Star-Lord-a-thon. You know, we, we've no seen one- that. <laughs> No one and, was around for that. No uh, one. Uh, I hear I've I've had positive feedback about the Star Lord Athon and and several. Uh, when are you guys going to do that again? Uh, the Star the Star Lord Athon was so daunting. It was so so difficult. Pretty exciting, honestly. You know, I thought yeah. my that my vocal cords were going to snap, or or no, I thought that once I stopped talking at the end of the. 24th episode that I would not be able to talk again ever. <laughs> you, you know, I because I've never like, I mean, I've never just sat in a chair for 24. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that there is something to like 
I like everyone talks about sedentary lifestyle, but I don't think hmm. that those people have sat literally in a chair for 24 hours because like if you're sedentary. I mean, you move around still. Yeah. You know, you do yeah, other things during the day being in the same place for 24 hours, like getting up quickly to like bowl down coffee and food in between. It's maddening. It is maddening. Much like this comic book. Yeah, whole thing. Yeah. And like you said, also, yeah, we've got we both have physical copies of this one. A really great thing since living in England is now I can go to I, I end up going to like comic book conventions and charity shops and things like that, which often have, um, and comic book shops too, actually, which often have these old annuals and yearbooks and things like that. So I could pick this guy up for, yeah, I think Fox's was like mostly, yeah, five or six pounds or something like that, which is very nice. Hey, listen, the price on the package, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I guess it's only... I think yours was six, so it's only gone up one pound and five pence um, <laughs> since it came. Or no, five ninety-five. Yeah, sorry. So only got up five pence in the ensuing uh, twenty-eight years. So take that inflation. Yeah, suck it. It's a there. buyer's market right now. Finally, yeah, getting them out there. And then I, I, I've got a thing of, of talking about context, but that feels less necessary because you were just on the last episode, so I don't have to tell you. But you know. Hey, yeah. somebody might want to know. We've yeah, been just, we've been reading comic books. Yeah, I guess guys. if you just jump in for the yearbooks, um, have we just finished Prague nine oh three, and we're at sort of this pause between nine oh three and nine oh four, which will then start and get into the Wilderlands epic and a bunch of other uh, uh, or no, yeah, a fair amount of uh, cool thrills starting in that time just, as well. Just. Does Fox know about this yet? Because, I mean, I don't know if he knows what he's heading into, you know, this 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 particular year. You know, he's I think he's going to be pretty. You're on timeline, Fox. You you just did 903. (laughs) There's no messing around with you this time. It's not like all the other specials and annuals, which are out of time, where I record them with other folks and they are out of timeline. So I get, often have some very, like, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out where I am myself when I talk about this, <laughs> just to give you a peek behind the curtain here. Hey, you know, that's for you, listener. Wink. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. For, yeah, I'm I'm interested in here and I'm, and I'm sad to see these annuals go. I liked them just as a... Uh, oh, you did? Well, I mean... Maybe I mean I wouldn't say the content was 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 really great, <laughs> but I definitely liked using them as a way to get people, other people on the show, to talk about stuff. Yes, yes, I agree. And that, it's sorry. the listening I do the most, yeah, and to just frank. to kind of be like little pauses and ways to kind of break up the um a year's release in in progs and stuff. I might end up trying to keep like having like four or five breaks through the years. Well, I feel you know, like I into mean, 95. There's, there's definitely a lot of stuff to talk about besides the progs that are coming out in in the past and going forward. It's the year book. Yeah. It's a book about the entire year that has nothing to do with. It. That's right. Yeah. So. Um, like all the other annuals, this one has a wraparound double gate folded cover fox. Ooh, yeah, that was that was pretty good. I also I enjoyed my bay brace fold out on the back. absolutely yeah. So basically, it's got a cover, but then the cover folds out into four cover pages and one big continuous image across it. 
It's I may art- butcher this item just for that. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. It's got art by Mick Austin. And basically it's a desk with a bunch of penciled pages as Tharg appears in the middle, bringing characters to life as they step up off the page. So you see like Ooh, Dread and Friday. In. Yeah, like they're like 3D, but their legs are still drawn on the page. Um, Sam Slade swinging by Tarzan style. <sighs> On the back, we've got kind of a swimsuit image of Joy Hogg and Brigand Doom yeah, appearing yeah, mysteriously yeah, yeah, in the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's also, you can see a script for uh, the Manchu candidate as well. Okay. Anyway, with that, Fox, we're getting into these thrills. Starting off with Thrill One, Judge Dread. Strangers on a Zoom. Script about John Wagner, art about Jim Bakey, letting about Tom Frame. Yeah, this one's called Strangers on a Zoom. Starts at a Zoom station, which is, you know, the Mega City One subway system. Which, again, they still have plastered on the actual, like, escalator downwards, the word train. So they're calling it a Zoom. It is a train. It's yeah. called train. Uh, it's a train. It's just a train. Why call well, it a Zoom if you're also going to call it a train? I mean, it's like how you call it football and soccer, right? Like there's sort of those are two different places. No, no, no. They call them they call them the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. It's it's the soccer. Dread following a perp onto a Zoom. Um, he gets on. Uh, uh, they both run into the crowded station, and the perp jumps on the train to Hitchcock Heights. So this is a reference to the movie Strangers on a Train. Or, uh, you know, I I feel like this reference is for the birds. Get out of here, buddy. Shake my fist. Dread gives chase, grabbing onto the handle at the end of the train and getting dragged on. He climbs aboard the train, and inside we see a man crying, holding some sort of note, and then a bunch of dudes in matching outfits pull guns and prepare to rob the passengers. I I like how, like, the... the the people kind of near the crying man. It's like, oh, is he all right? And then there's just a guy reading. It's like, oh, it's a panic attack. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> no gives a shit. It's normal. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who rides a train once in a while, mostly, uh, I'll tell you, sometimes, especially Caltrain, people can get weird. Yeah, I'll tell you that, like, if there's one, like, my standard stance when I was uh, in, in San Francisco and would take the BART train is to never engage with people. But oh, espe- God. Especially never engage with someone who's crying. Um, also, I had, a, I had a really funny conversation, or no, observation then conversation, because one time a lady came onto the BART train and was sobbing, and she got a seat on that crowded train. People got up for her. And I told well, a friend yeah, that like, hope so. if a dude got on, on the bar train sobbing, they would not get a seat. No, <laughs> they, would be, they would be ostracized immediately. Yeah. So <clears throat> another man on the train seems to be bleeding. And when a, and when, when a passenger chides him for it, he pulls out a big old knife. Yeah, if this is a non-bleeding zone. The guy should have known. It's true. But Dread luckily has found a way onto the train through the roof. And yeah, uh, there's a roof hatch. Yeah, yeah jumps no, we in. You always and, have a roof hatch, Conrad. That's right, of course. There's always a roof hatch of the guy on the train, Conrad. Right? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> he jumps in and takes out the knife guy from the roof hatch, which should be there. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, with the robbers, a passenger goes to hit the panic button but gets shot by them, and so Dredd bursts into the next car, and a gunfight breaks out, so the crying passenger actually goes and does hit the panic button, which brings the train to a zreeing halt above the DeVito block. And here's yep. where we've got a reference within a reference, Fox, because this is probably one to uh, the movie Throw Mama from the Train, which was inspired by Strangers on a Train. And uh, this man has a bunch of hot dogs strapped to his chest. He's a bomb. <laughs> oh, no. He's going to give us all. He's going to fill us all full of salt, Fox. <laughs> nah, he's going to fill us all full of delicious ballpark Franks. Yeah, he's and covered let me in- tell you, these Franks are hot, meaning live, like they're live munitions. Uh, they plump when you cook them, Fox. Oh my God! You gotta you gotta fork them a little bit before you put them in the microwave. You know they got they got jar they got uh, hot dogs in jars here in England, and I'm not I don't know yeah. if I like it. It's, no, a, it's they're it's, okay. It's pretty normal in Germany, like for the Vienna Vienna sausages that you buy. Mm, well, those are in cans or something, right? Nah, I man, know. they're in oh. they're in glass jars. Pop right. them open. You you cook them a bit, make them make them warm. Put them in a in a delicious sultry with the bun. concept. Absolutely. Yeah. So this guy's covered in TNT and it turns out that that note that he, the note that he had, um, was his lover. It was a dear John note from his girlfriend breaking up with him basically. And this bomb will kill her because it will blow up the train and drop the train right on top of DeVito block where she lives. I mean, this is so fucking hot. It's like red shoe diaries hot. Absolutely. Uh, you're going to get rid of me. I'll drop a tr- I'll run a train on you. <laughs> oh, no. Dredd steals a man's phone and uses it to call control. Judges Victon and Duckworth swing by the woman's house and get her to lie and say that she loves this dude, Wally. And oh, I mean, he's so happy. I mean, he, she's such a sultry lady. She's like, have you met the crumb? Like, why would I do this? And then they threaten her with like, hey, we'll just like go through your house and find all your illegals. And she's like, yeah, call him. I'm calling him. I'm calling Please, him. Please, I've got several contraband dildos in here. Um, Ooh. Finally. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Bad dragon. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can get one that's got, um, it's got, oh God, it's got like the texture of a bunch of uh, question mark blocks from Mario in it. Conrad, you know? Conrad. They have one that is a... I don't want to get too far into this. That is very... I do. That is very Mm dragon-based, but it's a dog. It's a dog. It's a dog dragon. Mm. And it even looks like a dog rolling around on its back. It's a it's a lipstick tube. So if you're just like, I want to be fucked by a dragon dog. Yeah, no, you can get ones that like uh, will like lay an egg up there. Oh, I don't like that idea. I don't like that idea. Made like gelatin. <laughs> you put an actual egg inside. Yeah. And it, it's just, oh. <laughs> That's an ovipositor. You can shit that egg out or, or pop it out, I guess, depending on where you put it in. Anyway, listen, don't don't fight with me, Fox. I, 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 I got I got weapons. Oh, my <laughs> God. Hens do it. So why not? Finally, fuck up that cloaca. Um. Sorry, sorry, everybody. Fox and I are in a non-canon episode. We're getting real weird. Anyway, Wally's happy and everybody's like, oh, true love. But then it turns out that his bomb had a timer on it in case he got shot or something. It was like, oh, shit. And he pulls out like a comic, like a comically. Full on alarm clock. Yeah, like it's it's with the two bells on the thing and the little hammer. 
Like it's like mm-hmm. really, buddy. No thinking, future stuff, huh? Nope. Thinking fast, dread just kicks Wally out the window, and so he falls and explodes harmlessly. The train starts moving again, and Dredd takes out those robbers pretty handily as the guy whose phone was borrowed by Dredd gets it back and uses it to call his wife. Oh, he's going to be late getting home again. There's always some excuse on these trains. I mean, listen, you uh, you can't really control when you get to the station. That's the conductor. Exactly. Well, the engineer, but anyway. Whole thing. Yeah, but still just sort of some fun, fun dread action here, you know? Yeah, Mega citizens being weirdos, dread being good at fighting people, your standard stuff here. Yeah, not, he not came in through a hatch and kicked a dude in his fucking face. It was great. Absolutely. And that takes us to Thrill 2, Tharg the Mighty. Script robot, the mighty one, probably um, Alan McKenzie, art robot, Eric Bradbury, letting robot, Tom Frame. This is the final one of these Eric Bradbury, Tharg the Mighty stories. And I've often found them fun just because I kind of like Eric Bradbury's um, artwork and his work on the caricatures and stuff is kind of neat. Oh, no, that part is adorable, right? But Tharg J-O-ing in front of me is like... (laughs) That's fair, although I think this one is less... Is less Tharg being all powerful? I think from its sort of the dark days of the of thrill the sucker infestations and stuff mm. at Tavistock Place in London, Tharg is calling an all an impromptu all hands with all the droids. Basically, everybody's been messing up so much, or been messing up too much because of it. Mechquake's getting fat from eating them all because he eats all the screw ups. So now he's on a on a diet. So nobody make any mistakes for 10 progs or else. But I feel like that just means everyone's going to slack off. Exactly. Yeah, that's what Mac 2, the Alan McKenzie droid, says. What about all the defective office equipment? But Tharg doesn't want to hear it. And without the threat of Mechquake, everything grinds to a halt and is broken as we see Mac 2 complaining to Auto Tom, the John Tomlinson bot. The photocopier is broken. The lift stuck on the basement. Even Bert, the Richard Burton bot, is sleeping instead of paying attention to Sonic the Comic Adventures. Is is it the Comic Adventures or is it the Sonic TV show? The good one, not the bad one. He's sort of watching the TV show, which could also be the video game. It's sort of hard to tell what they're really telling us. Well, because the the staff in his hand, like it could be the comic, because I read a little bit of the Sonic comic and it can get weird. And it also has... You know, the Sally character, et cetera. He yeah. loves his chili dogs. I'll tell you that that Burton is editing the Sonic comic at this point. So it's certainly a reference to well, that. I, I, that's interesting. I mean, the Sonic comic book at this time in the 90s, mm-hmm. as someone who was reading it at the time as a child with a, with a friend of mine, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, it, yeah, actually, the, I mean, it actually fleshed out the world better than any of the games that Win3D have ever done. Yeah, no, the uh, the UK Sonic comic, one, has a lot of creators that we're familiar with from 2000 AD and has its own weird canon that, like, sort of goes in its own directions and I, I'm so has its own elements to it. That Sonic team has never gone back to that as, like, to me, it was the most stable sort of version of it. It's like, hey, we're effectively eco-terrorists, but only because the entire world has been transformed into a fucking hellscape by this insane person. I don't know. I, uh, 
I I am definitely not a Sonic expert, but I think I know a friend of the show, um, the Monarch from the 2084, has, has done some Sonic the comics, ha, has done some, some Sonic comic stuff as well. And Ooh, definitely. I'd be uh, interested. I do I'll, like the Monarch. Yeah. Well, as with, um, I'll say as just in general for our, um, just like with 2000 AD, there's wells to be plumbed. In the UK Sonic comic, you know. Yeah, I mean, everything comes back to it, right? Something. I mean, there's definitely a lot. Listen, always, all media can use a closer look. That's what I say, especially comics that no one really reads anymore. (laughs) Anyway. Boba, I lost my place. Oh, come on. Okay. uh, Also in the basement of the building is uh, King Ken Co., the new coffee machine, which is giant, self-important, and doesn't even make good coffee. In the command module, meanwhile, Mechquake is working out. He's jumping rope and lifting Bert and Mac 1, the Steve McManus spot, wrongly labeled as Mac 2 here, and eating only tiny diet robots. Oh, I do like that he's doing a little jump rope. Yeah, in ten I weeks, like that his treads also gained weight. To- all of him, all of them does. You know, he's a big boy. In ten weeks, uh, Mechquake has gone full heroin chic. He's all thin and like sickly. And at another all hands, Thark sends him out to root out all inefficiency in the office. But when he does, there's so much wrong that he ends up ballooning into a giant robot slug. Unable to move, Mechquake seems to be in trouble, but the Igor Goldkind bot, Igroid, sees this as a challenge and insults the corpulent cyborg until it snaps, and Igroid is killed as Mechquake springs into action. Tharg re- Okay. I said flurp. Flurp. Tharg reads the O to the unknown droid at his funeral. Though he reads it um, in a Walter speak, I guess. Yeah, it's weird that they had to go with the main flame townish. Yeah. So do not stand at my desk and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am the thousand microchips. I am the billion paper clips. Do not grieve for my mainframe trashed. I am not there. I have not crashed. And so life returns to normal at the nerve center, including the droid still trapped in the elevator. Oh, the final. Uh Anyway, you know, again, just sort of silly office things, making yep. fun of people for making mistakes around the uh, the office, calling out the photocopier for and the coffee machine for being real jerks at 2080 HQ, that kind of stuff. It feels like real hack shit that mm. is not untrue. Indeed. Continue on with some filler things. Let's go to Thrill 3 Covers of 1993. Okay. So standard filler cover review stuff. Uh, it's just black and white renditions of some top covers from the year 1993. There's uh, the Black Widow from Mean Arena, the Luxor Judges, mm. that Big Dave newspaper cover, nope. Tharg as Father Christmas, which is one of my faves. And then, yeah, it's a good one. Then Big Angry Cannon Fodders, Maniac Fives, Grices, and Angry Dinosaur. I like yeah. that, uh, that you got the because underneath. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're all chosen by different creative droids who then justify their choices. Like the ones that are sort of like, I, oh, yeah, I, it's simple. It's you nice. know, I I do like the the um, uh, Purgatory's End, you know, 
I'm coming for you, Dread, and it's and the covers by Carlos Escara, and the reason because is Carlos is <laughs> That's reasonable. I it gotta is say, reasonable. He knows how to draw some neck veins. Like I don't want to. I don't want to be out here saying like, oh, Carlos Escara, that guy's no good. That guy's pretty good, King Carlos, etc. Ooh, can he be the next uh, boss bad guy in Kirby? King Carlo. Maybe. I'm sure Instead he could. of King DDD. I'd love to see him team up with King DDD, you know? Ooh, that'd be great. Big mustache guy versus a penguin. I'm ready for it, you know? <laughs> I feel like you could make that work in the Kirbyverse. Plus, in the end, they're both actually just pretending to be the baddie when the actual bad guy is the evil, like, fake dark things that men do to you or that, that, that humans do to each other or whatever the actual ultra nightmare bad guy at the end of Kirby is Kirby. Anyway, let's go. Speaking of terrifying Kirby's things. An, yeah. Kirby is a, is an unnatural, unthinkable horror. He has mm. no thoughts, but he must eat. Oh, me too. Three or four terror tales. Hungry, buddy. Come on. Got some Pringles here. This story is called a man called. Oh, good. I said, you lucky dog. Come on. That's right. Uh, This story is called A Man Called Fear. Script robot Martin Conaghan. Art robot Mike Perkins. Letting robot Ellie DeVille. I think. You know how I love to start a comic book, Conrad? How's a man slitting his own wrists in the bathtub? Absolutely. January 1993, Peter Bradley was a rich and powerful corporate leader, but his greed led to his life's collapse. And now he's going to kill himself when he gets a phone call. His answering machine gets it. This is one of those sort of story conceits from the 90s that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, And a voice on it says that they're out and they're coming for him. As he takes his own life, Peter then wakes up in a hospital bed. He's been in a coma and it's suddenly October 1992, three months before his attempt He's and so ripped for being in a coma. That's right. Exercise his muscles while he was under. And his no, life they just seems- put those little electrodes on him that just shock his belly once in a while, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's why I work out. Um, and his life seems to be intact. His wife hasn't left him yet. He's got a second chance. But he keeps hearing the voice threatening him out for revenge and no one else can see him. One day he's visited by a rotting zombie of Montgomery fear, a man Bradley killed years before as part of his pursuit of power. You know, sewer- you just just don't kill anyone with the surname fear because they it's are true. just going to get you. Yeah, I mean, most people, they just come back in a haunt show like Jacob Marley, you know. Nah, but if it's if they're named fear or uh, dooms like, you know, John, Dr. Jonathan Doomsday, like, yeah. don't don't fuck with those people. They Give got what? that. Yeah, it's like a Bilderberg group member, man. You don't you don't fuck with the steering committee. Yeah, you end up end up being tossed into the super soldier program sent to Mars for 20 years. Wow. I don't want to get into it. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the suicide released fear from limbo and now he's just ghosting around, implicating Peter in various crimes and financial misdeeds, signing his signature on all kinds of stuff making it look like he's rolling out some new NFT projects or something. (laughs) Topical. Anyway, now at this time, it's the ghost of Mr. Fear that's killing Mr. Bradley. So he's not cutting his own wrists. He's hacking them with a meat cleaver. cleaver. But the 
Coroner still says it's definitely suicide. Bad times indeed. <laughs> He's been meat cleavered to death by his own hand. Ooh. This guy clearly meat cleavered himself. <laughs> oh, just in time for spooky Halloween. Oh, sure. But I mean, you know, he's been done up like a turkey. He's been yeah. uh, like a like a Christmas ham, like a July pheasant. And I love my July <laughs> pheasant fox. Watch those Fourth of July fireworks. Chow down on some fez. Fireworks and pheasant. Can't get any better than that. Two Fs of patriotism. Yeah, listen, if there's anything I can tell you, it's that quail and fireworks go well together. I believe it. I don't know. I mean, I like quail. Quail's delish. Fair fair (laughs) enough. Anyway, on the topic of, uh, no, I I had nothing. Shooting myself. Yeah. uh, You know. 305 Stranium Dogs. It's the first time that you've ever said that where I was sad. <laughs> yeah, so a script about Cartwright Roper and Andrew Price. Let Art Robot Carlos Escara. Tech story time. And I think these names might be pseudonyms or something because Cartwright Roper is might be like a bonanza reference. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, boys and I, Cartwright is the name, Fortune Smile, the day we pile the Ponderosa plane. Anyway. Oh my God, we are older than I'd got them all. You're old. We're both old. Listen, I'm, I'm, I saw Bonanza on a, re, on a TV, on an old TV show based um, television channel when I was a kid. So that's my. Bonanza. Yeah, that was my rerun of choice after, after school for a while. Good times. So this is a tech story. It's called Sticks and Stone Killers. Okay, on a ship, the spirit... Uh, A spaceship crashes. The Sticks brothers are there. You remember them as baddies from uh, Stronian Dog. They fucking... They they iced our boy. Yeah. No, they definitely... They were sort of just random bounty hunters, and then um, they teamed up with Nelson Bunker Creelman to help take to try to take down Johnny Alpha and the outlaw storyline. Anyway, a ship crashes. The Sticks brothers decide to sell the ship for scrap. Later on another ship, there's a security chief that's investigating a murder aboard. The Sticks brothers are also aboard. So, you know, like Columbo style, we're pretty sure who did it. Um, They find a Gronk aboard the ship that had a heart attack and they try to bring it around. And eventually that Gronk says, hey, I'm a Gronk, but not the Gronk. And this leads the security chief to just learn about the history of Johnny Alpha, basically. And by the time she realized that those Sticks brothers are probably up to no good, they've also taken, they've also hijacked the ship. Uh, This leads to a gunfight. One of the Sticks brothers is killed, but another one escapes and is like, hey, we were after Johnny Alpha for revenge. You've just told me that he's been dead for years. But now you killed one of my brothers, so now the rest of us are going to be after you. And there's like seven or eight Sticks brothers, I guess. The end. Yay. I've got a longer recap for it, but didn't seem necessary. Yeah, no, I. this is the thing that I don't miss about these annuals, buddy. <laughs> I hear you. It's, it's, it's a bummer after some real crazy John Smith ones to kind of go back to 
a story that you can really that really feels like a comic book script with some connecting words in it and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have loved like, again, they could have made it a comic book that's a retrospective working with Carlos to make that thing happen where it's like, oh, I remember Johnny Alpha. I remember these characters, especially because this one. Yeah. Especially because this one does have about a page of just straight Stronium Dog recap, you know? Yeah, exactly. Fox, speaking of something that you don't like from classic annuals of the past, let's talk about something you don't like from modern 2000 AD. Here we go to 306 Bradley. Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Simon Harrison, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Hey, it's Bradley. His parents are going out for the night, so they get an old lady with a walker to be a babysitter. Bradley plays nice and grosses the lady out with a frog and a crab. Slips her a Mickey, adds jets to her walker. Jesus. She blasts off home. Ain't Bradley a stinker? The end. Wow. Thank you. That was almost painless, though I did have to read it. Yeah. You know, listen, we're getting getting in, getting out. Neither of us likes Bradley. Why talk about Bradley? Drill seven, <laughs> droid profile, Anthony Williams. Smiley guy with some, you know, some, uh, some light bearding. Yeah, some yeah, just stubble. Again, just filling up some space here with some more one-page profiles on various creators. This one for Bay Brace, Mean Team, Robo Hunter, and various other such artist things. Artist uh, Anthony Williams. Hey, love Skiz. Favorite yeah. 2018 story. Like Skiz, likes Mexican, Indian, and Chinese food, Muhammad Ali, all kinds of stuff. Good times. And you know they're down to earth because, like, you know, could have said Tesco's, could have said, uh, what's the what's the really high-end one? Wade Rose? Wade Rose, you know. So or Marks and Spencer's, maybe? Sainsbury's is that nice in the middle. You can get a turkey leg like Feel like Yeah, I, I feel like Sainsbury's, yeah, that's sort of... Above Tesco, below weight rose, definitely. Yeah, it's the, it's, uh, I feel like it has enough class to be acceptable. Yeah, no, perfectly fine. I, like I said, if I can get a turkey leg there, I'm quite happy. And yeah. I can get at Sainsbury's. Totally. Yeah, or you go, go to freaking Iceland and live a whole life of frozen stuff, Fox. <laughs> it feels like that woman who put out the, the, um, how to cook with your microwave thing in uh, in like mm-hmm. 1980 or 1990. It's like a whole recipe book of of just like how to use your microwave to its best capabilities. Totally. You know what I re- I had a real philosophical quandary at Iceland. All right, because whether or not you'd be eating horse meat. Well, indeed. Basically, so they you know they've got frozen pizzas, of course, but. They go, you can get a one pound frozen pizza there, a two pound, I'm talking about about financial cost here, not weight, a one pound frozen pizza, a two pound frozen pizza, or a four pound frozen pizza. And it's very much like, how much do you value yourself here? You know? Well, like, but like, I would ask, like, what, what is the, what is the size difference? And then also, what is the toppings difference? Roughly the same sizes and toppings. Oh, really? The main difference is price and presumably quality of ingredients. And I'd like to tell everyone listening to this that you are worth a four pound frozen pizza. All right. (laughs) Yeah. But like at the same time, it's it's Iceland. So I believe that everyone here is worth a four pound frozen pizza. 
But if you get the one pound frozen pizza, which is effectively the same, get four one pound frozen pizza. Fox, I've 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 attempted that gambit. I would not recommend it. Oh, oh. really? Horse meat all the way down, huh? I mean, I would say the bread is more the challenge than the meat, honestly. Okay. Okay, I hear you. Anyway, Aldi Aldi sells uh, uh, pre-made. Ooh, all right, you just gotta you just gotta roll it out and sauce it up. I don't have that. I I, I don't know that kind of creativity, buddy. That's okay. I mean, as somebody, me. listen, I as somebody who swears by Tombstone as being one of the best frozen pizzas, DiGiorno can suck my ass. Uh, like I love frozen pizza. Get that Red Baron, buddy. Oh Ooh, man, I do love Red Baron too because they got the spicier sauce. You know. I miss Red Bear and I miss Hot Pockets here in England, buddy. It's my chest, my cross to bear. Anyway, I, I, I miss Fritos. I, <laughs> Ooh, would, yeah. I would kill a man for Fritos. Fritos, Fanta inspired by uh, artificial chemicals, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Neon, orange, Fanta. All right, next thrill, buddy. Because speaking of dark, of dark futures, let's go to oh. <laughs> Thrill 8, Brigand Doom. What if Brigand Doom... Also stalked a nurse. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Script about Alan McKenzie. Art about Dave Danticky. Letter about Eddie Parkhouse. In the city at the Municipal Hospital for Sick Children. Evening oh. curfew is starting. And there's a nurse walking the empty street with a package. Stalking her through the streets is Brigand Doom, who laughs at curfews. Yeah, like the whole thing passing through is that there is a, that, like there's this loudspeaker saying like, the one like one minute to curfew and unless you have a special id you can't be out on the streets it's very 1984 again like i would love to see brigand doom lean more into this yes and i feel like it starts the jump great but doesn't stick the landing if you Mm. know what i mean yeah Inside the hospital, a couple are worried about their sick child and just the general living situation that they find themselves in. Yeah, the there's do- the haves and the have-nots, man. These yeah. are the people who don't have and also, you know, get babies. Yeah. The doctor comes out and says their child has died and they're sad, but like the mom's also was like, oh, but maybe it's better if the kid did die and now she's feeling guilty. Yeah, and here's the thing. You'd still, like, as much as it would be bad, I guess maybe this hospital is just a ton of babies, but you'd expect to have, like, can I see my child, like, moment. Yeah, like, they usually, what would happen? They usually don't just put them in the wood chipper or something like that. like <laughs> In the baby sluice. You gotta buy, they, you know, they make you buy a tiny baby coffin or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. You, and, and it's, and it's very sealed in approximately the weight of your child. Mm. Meanwhile, Doom sees the nurse enter into a fancy apartment building where she gives her bundle, a dang babby, to a rich couple. And it seems this has been going on a lot. Poor kids dying and wealthy, childless couples suddenly having kids. Doom follows the nurse back to the hospital where she shares a cut of the cash she got with that doctor from earlier. Doom means to follow the money, but first he plinks a capsule and kills that nurse. Oh, yeah, dude. Plink. Okay, time to murder you. <laughs> Later in the hospital, Doom corners the doctor, jams a pill bottle down his throat. Oh, no. I- first he plinks. He oh, does, yeah. like, he does he does himself some medication and he's like, now that I've had my medication, it's time for you to have yours, like a oh. whole bottle of Advil. Yeah, take it. 
In the rich at the rich family house, Doom snatches that baby and scolds the rich family, then sneaks it's, it well, back. This is oh, this is the problem I have. You're right. It like scold is the correct term here, where it's just like, oh no, where has uh, the where the chickens has the baby gone? And he's like, no, not yet. And then he just proceeds to fucking like drub them on like you stole this child and it's bad that you did it, but also like. Oh, like the parents are poor. Well, you know, they're the true parents. And, uh, you know, you've sentenced it to remain. Yeah, I've sentenced you to remain your days childless. And if our paths cross again, I'll kill you. And all I'm thinking to myself is like, is his whole goal not to just like just like destroy the wealthy? No, it's just to kill these doctors. Take this child to, yes, a worse kind of situation but like it to a loving family who actually like it's their baby but also like why didn't you just kill those people like so murder them don't even think about adopting or i'll know about it and you're in and you're yeah. fucked which, which, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like you you have to imagine like in in this dystopian world which we don't know anything about other than voodoo and this man is definitely dead like they probably have adoption centers, whether it's willing or not. And it's like, just go do that. And I feel like you wouldn't be haunted by the specter of a very high man, a very high dead man. Now there must be a way to acquire a child in a way that comp, you know, to buy a baby from a family legally, as opposed to this underhanded way. I mean, there's like, I, there are people out there who are surrogate mothers for, for people, you know, I'm just saying Doom like, should put this couple in contact with the actual family and let them see if, you know, they want to just buy this kid direct. Yeah, <laughs> exa- well, exactly. Or or like, again, like I, I know people who have done this where it's like they will have your baby for you. Oh, yeah. Basically. Right. And then you, you're basically paying all their medical bills and you're also paying them. And it's like these people are rich. They could just have somebody make their baby for them. You know Pretty what I much. mean? Oh, well, I mean, you just know. like obviously they want to continue some kind of lineage instead of just, you know, fucking uh, uh, leaving Arizona. That shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, off, was off, it leaving Arizona? Escaping Arizona? the Nicolas raise, Cage movie, Raising, raising Arizona. Arizona, where he steals those kids and also. Uh, steals baby diapers from like as opposed to as opposed to leaving Las Vegas where he he went to drink himself to death. Yeah. Oh, such great films. Anyway, whatever. It's Brigand Doom. Confusing as always. I agree. Those are good films. I'm sorry. I wasn't I I was disagreeing with that or anything like that. Yeah. Doom takes the baby, sneaks it back into the crib with the poor family. And oh, Brigand Doom is happy because he did a good deed. But like maybe you could have also like given that family some cash or something like that. Uh, who cares? Killed them and given them the jewels plus the baby. The baby has the jewels inside or whatever. It's like there's so many ways to make this work. <laughs> By God, that baby's full of diamonds, King. Oh. <laughs> you dropped your crown. <laughs> All right, and now we continue on. Just some yeah, again, more brigand doom action complicated Robin Hood type thingamajigs. Now, let's keep going to Thrill 9, Droid Profile, Jim Bakey and Steve White. Just some more profiles yeah, here. I, you know, I gotta say, Jim Bakey, it's, 
I like he says his number two favorite movie. This is the what ninety four. Yeah, like he says it's Blade Runner. So Jim Bakey, he said his favorite movie was Blade Runner. Is that not an acceptable choice? Uh, no, it's just a surprising choice because no one liked Blade Runner. I feel like mm, in the I early don't know. days, I think. I mean, it was a lot of like. I mean, listen, at, like I agree with him. It should be in your in your top ten at the very least. But you know, enhance enhance. It, like it's just yeah. it's a very boring film. I don't know. It's a I very think, boring uh, film with a lot to say. I think that while there might have been some initial anti-Blade Runner sentiments, by 94, certainly it sort of joined, it sort of moved into its canon status. I definitely remember, or yeah, cult status. I definitely remember Blade Runner being a big one when I was at this time, actually, literally in like 94, (laughs) in 1994. Yeah, 1994, I definitely wouldn't have been watching it. But when I did watch it in like the very early thousands, it was like, I get it, but also like, woof. I remember you watching know. it, you know, pushing through it a little bit. But, you know, I think it's got more positives than negatives, honestly. Yeah. I appreciate some of his stuff. Although saying that you like to work out as a thing you do extracurricularly, it's like, all right. But like, <laughs> yeah, we all do. You know, you get into it. There was a I, I, I did Jim Capybara phase, Fox. It was, you know, a whole thing. It's Capybara. It's like being a gym rat, but you're very large. <laughs> I like that a lot more now. Um, and also, uh, there's Rogue Trooper writer Steve White, who's a vegetarian and likes ABC Warriors and brooding. I mean, he's correct on ABC Warriors. Anyway, let's keep going to Thrill 10, Babe Race 2000. Oh, the spread on this woman. I mean, I fucking <laughs> so, love her to bits. Yeah. Hate this story in a way. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Script about Mark Miller, an- uh, art robot Anthony Williams, Bambos and Cox, letting robot, any park house. I, buddy, part of the reason why I thought, oh, I should bring Fox back on for this final yearbook is so we could talk a little bit more about Babe Race, which I turned mean, out to be a dark horse fave. And this is the only other installment of it. Yeah, no, I, so I, I do love that she's like a, a stay at home mom and she's like, I'm so done with this part of my life. And she lives this duality. It's just her husband. I get why her husband's such a dink. And also she's like, this is her <laughs> life. But I feel like it's, it it's both the the uh it it is playing with something here where i feel like it's like yeah it's the gratuitous violence and babosity of mm-hmm. of the female form plus also you know get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich kind of like take on everything and it's kind of taking the piss out of it right yeah she's absolutely awesome um man <laughs> I didn't realize how much I'd hate to see her wearing rubber gloves and like the apron, but also, I mean, the contrast is good. The contrast yeah. is great. I really wish she wasn't working with this red nosed monkey. <laughs> so six years after the events of Babe Race, Joy Hogg is a housewife with two kids married to a very nerdy weirdo who experiments on animals for cosmetics. I mean, I get it. It's that that's a 90s. That's a 90s. house, And know? it's a very and it's a very like, you know, it's just a joke of, you know, just being this really extreme and ridiculous job for someone to have, you know, 
And again, like you said, she's really di- like dialed up this like Stepford wife, happy homemaker thing to the extreme. You know, she's got this big plastered on smile and, you know, she's doing the uh, household accounting and has to get dinner ready. And this kind of, you know, I mean, yeah. I, at the end of Babe Race, she was very explicit. Yeah. I'm going to go get married. Like, fuck this. <laughs> like, you know worrying about paying the bills is keeping her from doing her other household chores and stuff like that because she can't make ends meet with her current income so there's no choice for it fox you got to earn an honest buck and that means she got to get back on the bike and do some bounty hunting in her babe race garb and with her son chucky in tow also very pro it's mom mom doing the job you know what i mean like that's what i do like even even with the you're like she does everything and she hasn't I she's still like so muscular. It's like damn <laughs> totally. girl. Like, great yeah. work. But it's also this is also kind of making fun of, I guess, sort of this, I don't know, idea of like working mothers and stuff like that and accommodations being made for them and then becoming more visible in the pop culture landscape in the early nineties as well. There's some jokes about that. But basically yeah. She arrives at the 24-hour Mega Mix Ultra Bar where she threatens a bouncer to let her son in and says she's here to collect a bounty on the McTurk brothers. And here's one right here. Big, strong Larry McTurk. But Joy dodges his attacks and then jump kicks him into the lady's toilet, then shoots him out the side of a building with a gun that when it shoots him in the chest is just a giant hole. Oh, explosion. Now she's what I call a toilet attendant, Fox. Well, yeah, because, you know, he knocked into the lady's toilet when she yeah, kicked him in. Of course, kicked in the lady's toilet and like, ee! that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, at the pool, Moe and Curly McTurk get warned, get warning, get warned from the front desk. But before they can do anything, Joy is there tossing a sun lamp into the water of the pool, electrocuting them both. Hell yeah. Two for one deal, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. There's one McTurk left, but it's not Shemp McTurk like it should be, but the tiny Big Mac McTurk. I like like how the whole time the kid's on the phone like, yeah, listen, talking to like the the bounty hunting agency or whatever. It's like, yeah, she's killed this many. One more to go, you know? Totally. He's got a bunch of bodyguards, but that's no match for Joy just dropping a giant disco ball right on top of him. Which... Kind of fucking rules, man. It's good to stand on top of it as it falls, Joy and uh, and Chucky here. <laughs> Got to keep those teeth for the dental records. Just going to say, someone's <laughs> just going to be like, oh, you just killed some random person. You know what I mean? At least get control. like some yeah. video. Evidence. It's probably a camera, uh, you know, mounted on a cleavage somewhere or something. <laughs> <laughs> the goons go to avenge their boss, but Chucky talks him out of it. Mess with my mom and you're aiming for a maiming, Fox. Yeah. Now let's relax at the bar with some ice cold milk, baby. Absolutely. She's one mean mother, but my friend. So good. They head off. The owner of the bar offers Joy a job as a bouncer, but she can't have a regular job. She's got to get home in time to make dinner for her nerd husband. And as she does. So weird. And we see her walking out again with like sort of back in housewife mode and stuff. And well, and like while he's talking, there's just like spit coming out and his like fucking gums are showing. Yeah, he's a big, he's a big terrifying nerd. But and he just doesn't know how she does it. 
She just gets some sewing money on the side. You know, these kids today. The end of Babe Race. It's all right. I, I know this I one enjoyed, was fun. I, I enjoyed more Babe Race. I like her kid. Wish she had leaned more into like the uh, I'm going to be your manager kind of thing, which she almost was. Um, <laughs> clearly way more into her his mother being this murder queen than, uh, oh, this dad. I mean, I get it. They couldn't have put her with like the ultra hunk or anything like that. But man, oh, man. No, I think it's good that they gave her like it this. Yeah, it's, it's it's just funny that she's got this like nerd husband. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I is know. living it, this it, it step, you know, has has chosen to live this like Stepford wife um, existence and stuff like that. I think that's all pretty fun. Yes. And with that, let's keep going. With Thrill Eleven, Droid Profile, Simon Jacob. I, I mean, I would love to meet you because you seem like the weirdest one. You seem like the person I want to talk to. <laughs> yeah, artist for Armored Gideon, among others. He likes Thai curry and kebabs, as well as XTCs. Well, I mean, That's yeah. Conrad approved. Oh, and to be to be very specific, chicken tikka shish donor mix plus hot chili. Like, mm, you know, solid. Yeah. You know what you're talking about. Also, he's the only uh, person to answer one of these profiles that actually had an answer when asked what his favorite video game was. So I got to be along with that as well. Yeah. Good choice in 94. Like, honestly, yeah. It was much better than the first Sonic. I think that, uh, you know, in future. But yeah, listen, it's a solid time. It's a good choice. And blast from the past these days. And speaking of historical adventures, let's talk about Grill oh. 12, Judge Dredd. You know what I love is just giant text boxes explaining everything. <laughs> yeah. I so this it. one, this uh, scripted by John Wagner and Alan Grant, art about Jim Bakey, Lego about Tom Frame. This story is called Little Spuggy's Christmas. It first appeared in Prague 658, yep. our episode 211. Um, and this story was going on at the same time as Dead Man, so this might actually be cracking, just for the record. Oh, yeah. Um, so Jim Bakey is on art for a dread story full of Christmassy narration that I remember Fox hating at the time. And as we yep. see, he continues to hate it now. <laughs> on Still Christmas- hate it. Yeah. On Christmas Eve, the Justice Department always lets out a bunch of convicts. Among them is a guy named Little Spuggy. It seems he was a pretty heavy hitter and is assuming he was let up by a mistake but is instead actually being observed by Judge um, Dredd. Yeah, exactly. This is what I remember about the story. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's just going to kill a bunch of people. And then, hey, as it turns out, he does. And then, you know, yeah. gets stuck on. And that's the basic stuff. You know, he goes to try to find his old friends, arms himself and just starts blastering people, get shot as he does. Um then I mean, finds the a, Justice Department, the Justice Department allowed two people to get murdered for them to prove that he worse than than they thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he finds a secret black book and then heads to his girlfriend's place, the Damon Runyon block writer of the wrote the gangland stories that Di- Guys and Dolls is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, he bursts yeah. into her apartment and kills her new boyfriend, Ron, who works in insurance. Then um, the girlfriend tries to be nice, but accidentally lets slip that she informed on him. So he tosses her off, try, goes to toss her off a balcony. Luckily, Dredd shows up, shoots Spuggy. He falls off the side onto a big Christmas tree, burns to a cinder. 
the book burns up too. And so the, the judges lost the evidence they were going to get. But it's good times for Thelma, who was the beneficiary of several big life insurance policies that her boyfriend and all, had. All Jared had to say is a bunch of tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Ah, uh, no, the he's a, he's a huge, he's a huge Frasier fan. Judge he hears Fred. the blues of Colin Fox. <laughs> all right, you know, you know that song is about uh, like the 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 network wanted it to be that kind of lounge singer like he's Frasier and he's doing a thing. Um, and the the writers of the song were like, yeah, okay, fine. But they they wanted it to be more about like it, you know his kind of plight talking to the people on the air, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like you know he can't really help these people and they're calling in all the time. Sometimes the same people quite often. He's like, you got to get help. And so they made it all metaphorical in the end song. The tossed salad and scrambled eggs in this case being these people. They're all tossed up. They're 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 a bit scrambled. They need help. Oh, interesting. And he can't just help them just on the air. It's he can't help them in a radio show. You know what I mean? They need yeah. actual psychiatric help. So that was their that was the the whole end of it was to be like, you know, a funny way of saying like, hey, all these people that he's talking to and all of the like uh, uh, feelings he has about, you know, interesting. But it's it's you know, it's kind of your it's kind of your uh, your end of mash theme song, you know, Suicide, mm. or rather, sorry, the the start of Mash right. theme song. You know, suicide is painless. Um, talking about the uh, uh, the Vietnam War. It was it's Korean a, War, it's, yeah, or Korean War. Excuse me. It, it's a very insightful set of uh, songs. Yeah, it's more than I expected from Frazier. I gotta say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah. No, it's uh, it's uh, it's good stuff. Frazier's yeah. a good show. Everyone should watch it. Moderate. <laughs> it's it's better. Well, it's better than Dr. Katz. How's that? Though Dr. Katz is pretty good. Strong disagree. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fight Fox because I want to travel through time with Thrill 13 Time Twisters. You gotta understand here, guys. The killer was a part of the Zapruder film. We all know that he used his umbrella. <coughs> <coughs> I can't do that for I can't see the voice, <coughs> apparently. Listen, we all know JFK was a globalist, Fox. He was going to, or no, sorry. He was fighting against the globalists. He was going to bring back the silver standard, I want to say. And that's why they had to take him out. He was the last that's real president of, why of the they United were talking States. About, that's part of what he was going to talk about with the Khrushchev negotiations. Mm. Listen, so, we've got to send a man back in time multiple times so that he can film himself and shoot everybody. I'll just kill yeah. Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> it was a it was a black flag operation. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so scripter. So this one's called "I Shot JFK." Scripter about Ian si- uh, Simmons. Art wrote about Dave Danticky. Letter about Carolyn Steeden. Um, I'm not sure we'll see Simmons again. Danticky's good fit for this noirish story. JFK was great until the shambles of 1964. Then Cuba. Then terribleness over a book called "An American Tyrant." Kennedy, 1963 to 1972, a man decides to go back to 1963 when JFK was at his height and kill that president. He sets up in the book depository saying hi to a good kid named Lee, named Lee, 
Nope, Lee Harvey Oswald, not a good kid. But yeah, when he no, got- not a good kid. So many. Well, I'll get into it. I'll get into why this is not a good kid. He was definitely the person who, working at the the school book depository, definitely took advantage of a bunch of shit. Also tried to. Okay, well, anyway. Huh. But when he Please. tries to shoot JFK, he misses. So he tries again from the grassy knoll. He uses a holograph projector to hide in the crowd and do it. All kinds of stuff. He shoots JFK over and over again until he finally gets him. And then he three films times. the shooting. There were three shots. <laughs> just to be sure. Now, nah, there were hundreds. Everybody knows it. His no, mission it, it, is a- it was three shots, two hit, one missed. <laughs> His mission is accomplished, though it's a shame that that Lee guy got the blame. Still... One person stands in the way of his plans who knows too much, so there's someone else he's got to kill. It's fine, though, because Marilyn Monroe never really amounted to much after she joined the cast of Dynasty. I don't. So, like, the fact that they brought in Marilyn, who cares? The Zapruder film, and, like, he's the Zapruder film. He's Zapruder. Yeah. Like, uh, so, I, I wanted to say before we get before we move on from this. So, there's yeah. a, a podcast that I listen to that I think that it, it is incredibly good it's called well there's your problem Mm -hmm. and it's an engineering disaster podcast with slides and they very much john madden it it's uh i think it it, it's one of my favorite podcasts right now people should listen to it 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 is very fun and funny and very dry and sarcastic yeah um if you if you join their patreon you also get their um Bonus episodes, which are about whatever they want to talk about. And their last one was topically about the Kennedy assassinate, which went on for like nearly two and a half hours. I learned more in that than I have ever learned as an American about um, the Kennedy assassination, as done by uh, uh, a British woman who is, lives in Scotland. Um it is like so here's some here's some fun quick facts for you conrad mm-hmm. so lee harvey oswald didn't so tried to um so went and lived in russia right yep and tried to get rid of their citizenship met and all of the women and expected people to just like fucking love him like he was just like why isn't anyone loving me and and why isn't the russian state taking me seriously eventually married a Russian woman and then was so tired of not people not taking him seriously because he was in the military once uh, that he moved back to the United States and forced her to come with him. And even though she only spoke Russian, right, mm-hmm. still tried to also then go and and um, renege on his citizenship by going to Mexico and trying to go to Cuba. No one wanted him. No one fucking wanted this guy. He he then is working in this place where he kind of finds out that Kennedy is coming through and he's like, I know how people are going to notice me. It's like shooting Kennedy. Kennedy's car. Um, they decided not to have him inside the car full of bulletproof glass because they couldn't have bulletproof sighting on the car. And <clears throat> they wanted, they, they fit the car with a hydraulics lift for his chair, like in the back. So that he could be seated above the drivers in order for everyone to see him. Also made him easier to shoot. Mm. Um, Only two shots. No magic bullet bullshit. No special fucking umbrella, whatever. It's just this whole thing is like had this air of mystery around it. And reading this, it was like 
it was like reliving that nightmare that I had yeah. just recently listened to. Anyway, the Kennedy assassination. There's no bullshit behind it. He just got shot by a guy that no country wanted, and he was pretty unremarkable uh, until he just decided to shoot someone. Is completely similar to all shooters in the U.S., where they're really doing it for uh, being known and wanting some amount of fame, regardless of the cost. They're all disgusting, and uh, you know, I really don't feel like anyone should own a gun. That's me. That's fair. I- Counterpoint. (laughs) (laughs) You could have been a time-traveling sniper. What about them time-travelers, though, Fox? But then why would he choose one of the least accurate Italian rifles ever made to do it? You know? Time travel. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Also, don't kill Marilyn Monroe. She's a treasure. We only think of her as a treasure because she died so young, though, Fox. Yeah, I also feel the same way about James Dean, and I love Jimmy Dean sausages, so... Are those related in any way? Uh, yeah. Really? No, I'm, I'm genuinely asking, like, was, was Jimmy Dean of sausage fame related to James Dean of movie fame? In name. Oh, in... Okay. <laughs> Which is why they're good. I don't know. It'd be fun if if he was James Dean's brother, and then whatever uh, went a from sausage. Sausages aren't; they can't be the brother of a human, Conrad. But the guy who makes the sausages could be. I mean, you know, if that guy, I maybe he loves riding motorcycles and eating sausages. Let's see, country singer and actor <laughs> Jimmy Dean, known for the song "Big Good Bad life. John." I mean, that's a good... He was in a supporting role as billionaire Willard White in the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever. That's not a good movie. Does not appear to be related to James Dean. But he could have, you know, James Dean turned into meat. Jimmy Dean. Possible. Yeah, that's true. He could have been made into sausages, I guess. I mean, he would be delicious. That's right. Did you see how handsome he was? <laughs> Plus, he could reprise his famous line of shouting, you're, you're tearing me apart! <laughs> <laughs> We're really bad. That was In good. the sausage grinder. Anyway. Yeah. Thrill 14, Judge Dredd. This is another Man. reprint, Banana City. It first appeared in Prague 623 to 625. Our episodes 200 and 201. I forgot how much this Spanish is uh, European Spanish Mm. in particular ways. There are small things that kind of hint you out. But also, on on reprisal of of reading this, uh, man, oh, man, they just say South America's a shithole, which is not true. Oh, yeah. No, this is a very, very sort of dated or, I don't know, like, yeah, stereotypical fairly racist depiction of it, of the situation. Sorry, Uh, let me caveat that by saying not just South America. They are also saying that of Central America. Sure. I mean, this, yeah. It's not. It's not a shithole. It's actually, it's a really wonderful place to to be there. Great food, great people. It's not unlike going to anywhere else that you've been that is Mediterranean for our European listeners. Yeah. Be cool, you jerks. So, uh, script about John Wagner, art about Will Simpson, letter about Tom Frame. 
Um, we start in as the Justice Four flies low over a cityscape, and Dredge dropped in on a bike to the slums below. He's in disguise. Banana City is a go. He's a banana man. The Justice Four lands offloading Judge Hershey and an ambassador judge, kind of a, you know, they're sort of our man and Hondo situation. We're in Ciudad Berenquia, and Berenquia is a town in Colombia right now, so presumably this is there as well. Yeah. And we're met by a judge named Juez, who is very obsequious, but Hershey sees through him. They leave the hover port, and Juez backhands a woman trying to get him to take her ch- starving child as a judge. In a car, the ambassador explains that the judges here are crooked, basically forming the upper class of the city and lording their power over the desperately poor people of what they call Banana City. People and hey, to- if you don't if you don't fuck with our system, we don't care what you say. You know, you could just you know do it's what very you want to do very much. This like Mega City One doesn't really you know they've got it. They got to play nice here. They can't really you know even if they wanted to do something, they couldn't really. I mean, do they got to play nice? Because they definitely don't, and it doesn't matter. I mean, they sort of... I, I think there's trade between these mega cities and stuff. They're just not overplaying their hand. Which yeah. I... This is what I like about revisiting the story, is just kind of seeing, like, okay, yeah. Like, this whole thing was just sort of like, uh, we're going to operate in your territory without your uh, agreement. Yeah, consent, by, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, consent. It's very CIA, weirdly enough, in a, a country where the CIA definitely fucked with things and mm. still does. Mm. Uh, I, as, If anyone's listening, you know, I live in the EU now. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, man. No, you don't. Oh, fuck. People beg the Mega City One judges for help, and the driver hits a button to electrify the outside of the vehicle. Hershey is not pleased by all this, but eventually they're taken to the chief judge, Batista. Meanwhile, in the slums, a man is in a pit with his hands behind his back, killing rats with his teeth as people cheer him on. Suddenly, uh, uh, Berenkia lawmaster rolls in and scatters the crowd. The judge there's, there's, talk- actually a, there's actually a good Spanish joke here where it's like they call him a dog, but then they use the same because pero mm-hmm. can be dog or it can be because and then and then they they make a good joke about like yeah you know he's he kills them fa- or, or it's it's very fast uh because my dog and then someone's like yes because so ugly <laughs> it's it's just a weird kind of i i, I, I don't know if i got that one let me let me double check let me i want to see this es más rápida que mi perro si pero no tan feo Ah, this Spanish. Listen, I done the Duolingo. I'm all over it. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, they're doing Pero with the with the one R. It's a whole thing. That's Spanish. All right. Espanol, Fox. Me gusta. They, they, they also use, like in some of this, there's there's just, I, I, I'm not seeing it right now, but they also use like very Spain Spanish mm. in particular parts where it's like, oh, okay. I mean, I get it, but... Like it's not pronounced or at least spelled yeah. that way. I mean, I mean, they're pro- uh, probably because they're Spanish. Like you know, they don't even you, you don't even like Google Translate at this point, so they're probably get like 
consulting like literal Carlos Escara for how to do Spanish stuff. And yeah, he's, of course. you know, he's sort of got an, an Andorran or a, uh, you know, different, like a, a Europe, a uh, Spain Spanish pronunciation and stuff. Anyway, a, uh, a lawmaster rolls in and scatters the crowd. The judge talks to the rat fighter. It's dread. This guy is an informant of dreads and who's relo- and he's located someone important. The informant isn't quite sure he's got the right man, but there's a new judge in town. They call him Diablo, and we see him rolling through the city, scaring locals, talking to himself, and dealing with someone illegally parked in exactly the way that uh, Judge Dredd or that Sylvester Stallone deals with yeah, it in the no, Dredd movie just by shooting the car. Him. Yeah, yeah. He just—he's not doing anything wrong here, uh, <laughs> other than talking to himself because he's got. A weird devil in his head. He's yeah, yeah. Diablo heads out as Judge Hershey arrives at the Hall of Justice, where the Judge Supremo is notified of their arrival. But they'll have to wait as the Supremo holds court, negotiating a bribe to keep a citizen out of prison. This open corruption disgusts Hershey, but she doesn't mind in this case because she's basically just buying time for Dredd to do his thing. Which I mean, it's interesting because they're they're kind of. In in kind of reflection, right? It's like there's this judge class. They own most of everything. They're, you know, taking money and bribes for all of this stuff. But I like not saying it's right or wrong, uh, but <clears throat> each of the sits kind of work differently, but all have judges. And yeah. so I think that each of them, each of the groups kind of summarily judges each other in terms of their um not necessarily laws, but like what they believe is right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. Each 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 judicial system, if you will, has its own kind of set of ethics and yeah, beliefs. Yeah, there we go. And you know how the judges interact with um with the citizens and stuff. And you know we've seen, of course, Mega City ones our main one, but you know we've seen ones where the judges are a lot looser with stuff, like in um oh Dublin. Yeah, yeah like like an emerald emerald isle or whatever and certainly seen ones where they're harsher and then where they're just sort of more based around corruption and stuff like here so, as it turns i mean listen we we're all kind of coming to this saying like hey maybe you shouldn't just murder people and extort them but apparent i mean how yeah. different is is a, a politician from a uh a, a thug or a or a mafioso and the answer is not by much yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of get into that um, Michael Corleone, now who's naive Kate kind of situation, you know. Exactly. <laughs> um, Dredd gets more info on Diablo and he heads out as Diablo himself rolls into a bar and starts beating his way through it. And as he does, he hears a voice in his head. It's Barry and Moe from previous Judge Dredd stories where, yep. you know, Judge Barry Curtin had a little demon named Moe living on his shoulder telling him to be yeah. evil. So he says, I, you know, obviously, I mean, we not, saw the, not we saw it in the previous stories. You don't see it as much in this one. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, Mo Mo is definitely a real element, but it's, you know, just looking back, I mean, Dredd doesn't want to ice him. Like, that's the thing It's like he doesn't want to kill him. He considers him a good judge. He just doesn't like Mo. You know, mm. yeah, you can get help. And so it, yeah. there's, yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of, of, I feel like some, some amount of reprieve there. They could have said something. They just didn't. <laughs> Suddenly someone's calling out judge Diablo. He kills a citizen. He's bracing and Barry curtain walks out to the street to meet judge dread next time. Final curtain, which we'll do LOL, now. Get it. 
Get yeah. it? Yeah. So Dread and Barry are, are sh- showing down and Dread, um, yeah, and Dread hides his informant by saying that the size found him. Dread offers Barry a chance to come along quietly, but he's willing to kill him if it's necessary. Curtin says Dread's getting old, but still surrenders, but said he's got 10 million creds and stolen drug money in his apartment, and the Justice Department will want that as well. Dread agrees as we see the two personalities scheming amongst each other. At the Berenkia Hall of Justice, Judge Hershey requests that Judge Curtin be reprimanded to their custody. But and the she judge keeps cool as a fucking cucumber the whole time, man. Yeah, the Supremo says no and yells at Hershey. These big city judges think they're so much better than these little guys, but it's not like their citizens are happier. Everybody sucks. See, this is where that that when rereading that, it was like I, I kind of get his point. He's like, you're you're kind of coming down here and telling us how to run our shit, but we don't do that to you. And you know. You're kind of using us, which, uh, to be perfectly frank, very true current era argument. I guess, although I think you might be overestimating that the citizens of Mega City One are all exactly like the citizens of uh, CB Uh, here. I mean, a lot of them get killed for no reason and also are miserable and also don't have jobs. I think there's a certain I think there's a certain level of of uh, concurrent misery I think it, if you're on a misery spectrum, I think, I don't know. It's hard to tell. For I me, guess. it's all misery at that point. So. That's it. It's, it's certainly fair. Um, meanwhile, at Barry's place, he hands Dread the case full of cash, but Dread refuses to open it, spotting that it's booby trapped with nerve gas. It's also got a built in gun, which Barry uses to shoot Dread. <laughs> the older judge is hitting the arm, and Barry lays boots to him. He can't, you know. Dredd says he can't leave him alone because he's a psycho. And Curtin starts monologuing about Dredd being past his prime. But as he Bad does. Bad idea. Yeah. Dredd grabs the briefcase and hucks it at Barry, which hits him and triggers the nerve gas. The crooked judge and his insane little uh, sidekick are finally killed for good. Bye bye, Barry. Yeah. Bye bye. Yeah. Tell him Fonzie sent you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Because Henry Winkler's on that show, yeah, Barry, yeah, yeah, on yeah. HBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got it. I okay. loved it. Good, good. All right. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Our final story. It's Thrill 15, Rogue Trooper. You know, I, like this ends with a fold-out panel that I, I love. But for such like a kind of like a, no, okay. Yeah, kind of a basic story here. Script about Steve White, art robot Adrian Luton, learning about Annie Parkhouse. It's the only time we'll see Luton here. Um. Dawn creeps in on New Earth as Friday watches a Nort armored column be taken out by Southers. The Nort commander isn't doing a good job, but suddenly the crew picks up some Nort troops heading their way. Friday goes to run, but as he does, his hover bike gets blown up by a passing Souther attack jet. That jet is in turn shot down, but when the pilot bails out, he is shot as he parachutes away. Friday goes to help him, Lucky chiding him for wasting ammo on good on on quote unquote good causes. Friday quickly finds the downed pilot and takes out the Norts attacking him. He's got a broken arm and is out cold, so Friday drags him to safety. The pilot comes to as Nort patrols walk by, and I guess he doesn't need to wear a mask. I'm not clear on what the current <laughs> rules for New Earth are. I'm sorry to keep bringing nah, it man. up. 
No, I well, this is the thing is that all of the troops are wearing masks to not breathe a thing, but this guy doesn't need to. And he's yeah. in a bog, which also it doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. But I, I, I as a nerd, I feel a need to keep no, uh, of course. discussing it. We need we need to say it. We yeah. need to say it. It's our job to say it. Now that he's awake, Freddy asks the pilot to call in air support and to get a uh, ride out. The radio he has checks voice print, so only he can make this call. Eventually, a ship does come, um, does respond to come help them. The LZ is hot and getting hotter as the Norts find our boys and open fire. But soon, an airstrike comes in, including some super napalm that nearly toasts the pilot in Friday as well as the Norts. The crew fights off another attack, let's knife, as they say, when finally a transport ship arrives and the pair climb aboard and fly to safety. At a safe location, Friday heads out, leaving the pilot and the uh, crew aboard the ship wondering, who was that Blue Avenger? And Back to the bog! Yeah, I thought that might be a reference to something, Fox, but modern comic book films have rendered it the search for it essentially impossible. <laughs> And that's the end of that one. The special ends with some in-character creator credits. It's just everybody's sort of droid caricature name, not their real names. Good times. And with that, we've reached the end of the 1995-2080 yearbook. Oh, man. It was cool to have it in mine own hand. Uh, Yeah. I I actually, I appreciate... Hold on, Fox. Hmm? Say that that again into the mic, please. Oh, sorry. I Because I was reaching back for the thing. I appreciate the uh, the actual heft weight, the the pages not being cheap, right? Like there's clearly mm-hmm. been an upscale since when I last did any of these that that matter um, to me. I you know I like seeing a lot of these in color. All of the pages were were nice to feel, mm-hmm. um, and again, all of the pages were in in my words substantial. Like they were large, there was enough space to kind of breathe on these that you don't really get in a uh, technical medium, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's it's definitely different to hold it in your hands versus to. Um, well, it's just there's a lot more space to, you, to, to read it or, digitally. Yeah, yeah, it's just for the art for for everything that's being said. Like it, it really does feel like bigger than what I'm looking at digital and uh and i think that that's it, both a shame for the digital scans and things like that but also you know for the collector out there quite good um like i said i might butcher this fucking thing just a half <laughs> yeah i've got a copy too you know there's certainly ones out there to to allow it to happen you know cool so with that you know i must know what are your top one thrills for this yearbook oh boy um well, my bottom feels pretty easy. I would normally be giving this to Bradley. <laughs> Fair. But the thing about Bradley is, is that it had a comic book in it. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and this may be the only time on record that I give a bottom to Strontium. Do- well, probably not the only time on record. I'm sure I've maybe done it once to be, to be specific. But like... It's not that I'm saying that I wouldn't want to read a Strontium Dogs book or a short story, but I definitely want, wouldn't want to read it in the middle of a comic. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That, I mean, that I've stood by that stance for the entire 
thousands of years that we've done this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Conrad. Yeah, no, we're we're I, pro I'm not pro comics anti pros on this comic book podcast. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is like, look, I, if if you and I were doing a book club and we were reading books and talking about a, a chapter or or a short story, I'd have nothing to go on here, man. Like, I'd be like, why are there all these pictures in my book? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what, man? I'm not into in the middle of my my anthology comic reading a short story, no matter how good it is or how bad it is. Like, that's just not what I want. And it and it's not I feel like that much for a a company that that pays people to make comics to have them paid to make a comic book. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So uh, strontium dogs, sticks and stone killers. You're at my bottom. I'm sorry. And, and to break with tradition of completely shitting on Bradley, who deserves to eat my shit? Okay, I'm sorry. I just I have I have a code of ethics. Fair. And, and you and you broke it. <laughs> oh man, top. I don't know. Yeah, that's the big I, question. It's it it is it is a lot of things where I feel like. <clears throat> Especially as we've gone through everything and looking at all of these things and being being able to reread things from the past and realize like, yeah, you know, Judge Shred did have some great stories. I'm going to have to honestly say it's Babe Race 2000. Nice. Uh, because it uh, it blew me out of the water in terms of like her crying over bills and shit like it's. I know that you were prepping me for this for a while. Uh, I didn't expect this. I loved like her. She's after a year or two, uh, like off of Babe Race. And she's like, hey, listen, I'm into full mom mode. I've had a kid already who is obviously above the age of when I've gotten with this person. Um, and like. Uh, like just this duality of everything she's doing plus and i mean this in the most specific way dropping a disco ball on top of someone who is very short that was pretty fun he his character was never played out other than he's just like he's big mac that's it <laughs> yeah and then he just he says nothing no, he just intro- uh, no, he sees, set him up and knock says, him down right crud, away. My father didn't leave to see live to see this. I think that's the only thing he says. And then a fucking massive <laughs> thing. It's like it, it's just very good. Yeah, all of it, it. It's still in the same kind of ilk. Plus, sexy mom. Like it. It actually it brings a a broader like like stepmom fantasy into the whole thing that I appreciate. <laughs> um. All of the dreads were fine. Uh, Brigand Doom was, as usual, confusing and problematic. I wish they had done better. The Terror Tales and, like, whatever were fine. Um, and, the well, the Time Twisters I had problems with because it's like, let's talk about JFK assassinations is always kind of an issue for me. And Rogue Trooper, dumb. But mm-hmm. those are my top and bottoms. And Conrad, I've got to know, we've both touched the pages physically that's true and other than enjoying the feel of a real object what were your top oh man listen i rarely enjoy touching objects fox ready to be uploaded to the internet to, to, to the cloud <laughs> um i would say listen 
I'm okay. I, I don't like Bradley, you know, and that's an, always an easy bottom for me. Also, I've maintained my ethics if I don't like to um, put text pieces on the bottom because it seems too easy. So whatever. <laughs> um. So yeah, oh, Bradley on my bottom for for my bottom thrill. Um, I thought Bay Brace is pretty fun, just in terms of slapsticky violence and stuff like that. I thought, although I think Strangers on a Zoom actually, I might go with that one, the first Ooh. dread, the new dread story, because. Yeah, I, it was honestly it was it was funny. Yeah, because right? it was it was funny. I re- I like Jim Bakey's kind of five o'clock shadow dread, um, and it just had a bunch of kind of wacky mega citizens. This idea that you know when you get onto a train with a few hundred pe- citizens of Mega City One, some of them just want to explode the train, and you know you're going to be late to see your wife. They're gonna be a bunch of crazy ones. And whether that craziness is pointed inwardly or outwardly can depend on, you know, decide how your trip is. And so I thought that was just a really fun, just like, it actually is a kind of story that if someone was wanted to know about Judge Dredd might be a story that you might just show somebody of like, here's Dredd, he's doing some fights. Here's the weird world of Mega City One. It's got some pun building and place names as well, which I appreciate. And yeah, it's just sort of just a little bit, just as a quick potted adventure, really good. one. I think actually was a really good story for an annual like this, just of like, here's a self-contained story uh, that's fun and funny and has some good action and stuff. So I don't know. Honestly, I I very patently agree. I, I feel like I, I had the most fun and it started out with it. Right. Like and the rest of the comic then went to a little bit of shit or borrowing. Yeah. Right. And that's just going to go. That, that's just how it happens. Although I also really well, like it. Also I like started, Bay Brace as a you lot said, as well, for the record. No, of course. We all love Babe Race. Hey. But it started it started with the spread. You know what I mean? Like as soon as mm-hmm. I unfolded the comic and got the full spread, I was like, OK, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And it made it larger than it normally is. Like I enjoyed uh, you know, strangers on a Zoom. Strangers yeah, the, on a Zoom. The space you can get with that big gate fold really, um, really it adds matters. to the comic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's and that's the thing that I think that we miss out of some of this, and that we'll get when we get to more present comics. Mm-hmm. Um, is is the feel of everything? Sure, right? yeah, absolutely. Because because a, a lot of I, and I appreciate you buying this for me. Like I, I was laying on my bed while my my uh, <laughs> two two cat boys were like hanging out and chilling, like reading this thing. It was just kind of like, oh, I, I mean, it's huge. It's massive compared to a prog. You know, it it is mm-hmm. a substantial piece of of of. I mean, you know, yeah. Magazine or whatever. I mean, I'll say it's it's about the same size as a, as a prog in this era. Oh, I just I just meant as but, the foldouts, right? Like, yeah, but but large. it's got a it's it's got a fancier cover. And it's got about maybe three times as many pages or so, or no, maybe maybe four times. Yeah, no, no, three times as many. Um, so I mean, yeah, we definitely got the girth worth of everything. Absolutely, yeah. It's bigger than a prog, but the progs are at, like. Again, a big thing to remember about 2080 generally, especially if you're like me and more used to sort of American comic books, is that 2080 itself is, is pretty big 
in comparison to a standard like Spider-Man book or something like that. I'd also say that I really enjoyed because I read all of them. The dread uh, droid profile. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked all of them. Right. Like uh, getting a little bit more insight into, you know, Anthony Williams at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's like the little things, you know. Yeah. I think it's fun. Learn about these dudes. Have these adventures. Do these uh, silly comics. Always fun. Yeah. I love a comic. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sad to see these annuals go. But, you know, there's it's just sort of the nature of the beast. We're only got maybe a year or two more of the specials as well. And then, you know, I'll be bummed when that era ends because it's been such a this is such a link to sort of the classic comics of the of classic British comics and stuff. No, it's a link. It's a link to when we started. Yeah. And to where we started just those early days of like getting to these annuals and being very unhappy about them and stuff. Well, I mean, listen, I this was the least unhappy I've ever been about any annual. I've <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, I think there's been ups this, and downs. This, yeah. This feels like an apex annual that I would have wanted to yeah. write. Like I, no one's read a sci-fi special. Okay, I don't care what kind of child you are. No one's um, read a sci-fi special. I mean, yeah, the yearbooks are pretty good. I'd of course say that that first dread annual is also really amazing. Um, oh, I well, yeah, 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 yeah. There's sort of you know, there's been ups and downs. I think, but again, yeah, it's a end of an era. And that's what we're he- doing here on Space Spitter. Seeing we're how these eras end. The la- we're and here to put the last clod of dirt on top of the coffin before everyone starts burying that bitch in the ground. <laughs> exactly. And to that end, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Contact us at 2000 at gmail.com. And the 2080 forums are our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter at SpaceSpinner2K. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, your friends of the 2000, or sorry, by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends of the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. Support the show, get advanced episodes, and come back next time as we start a whole bunch of cool new thrills. There's ups and downs. Yes, there's Big Dave and Robo Hunter, but there's also ABC Warriors and the god dang Button Man. Button Man 2. Oh, yes. Oh, you got me excited. Yeah, also will be. And then you said other things that I like that. Yeah, it should be good. And of course, we'll be starting the Dread crossover epic between the Prague and Magazines. Oh, I can't wait. I can't Wilderlands wait is coming. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And until then, I'm Fox. So then I'm Conrad. He's Fox. And we I'm are Space Fox Spitter and 2000. I, he's Conrad. I'm Conrad. And he's Fox. And we are Space, Space Spinner 2000. 2000. I'm part of a collective. All right. Yay! <laughs> I'm a part of the collective. Can I? Can I? Can I be a? Of course. Who, who am I? Who am I being a collective with? If not you, buddy? Well, because I just wanted to make sure. You know, 